your Bible to Acts chapter 10. For those of you who are keeping track, yes, we did Acts 10 last week. But uh, we got to do some more. You know, there's, since we uh, had our equip a number of weeks ago, and one of the things that was the focus is that a real reset in our focus on Jesus. Uh, I've just found my heart sensitive. I've actually been walking with the Lord for over 50 years. I know it's hard to believe as young as I look. In fact, Josh told me today that my shirt makes me look five years younger. I wanted to go home and put three more on. (laughs) Rob and I look alike. Nobody could tell us apart if we wear the same colors. Uh, But in all that time, I really felt like I've actually had a focus on Jesus and been walking with him. But just in the last few weeks, there's been something of a, just a new tenderness and a new sense of his anointing, his love. And so everything we talk about has got to be seen in that context. I appreciated the songs this morning, focusing on the love of God, because whatever he asks us to do is seen in that context, that he loves us, and that he, we get to partner with him to be a part of what he's doing, but what, in doing that, it's always our best as well. So I just wanted to say that. Acts chapter 10. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence today. Thank you that you pour the love of God in our hearts. Thank you that you're uh, leading us into truth. Thank you that not just when we study your word, but every moment you bring to our remembrance the things which, which we've heard. You uh, enable us to be partners with you. And so we just open our hearts to you again in Jesus' name. Amen. We were reading last week about Cornelius and his household and how they responded to the, the gospel Uh, And then the very last verse of chapter 10, verse 48, says, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. I read that and it kind of hit me again. I I was going on to something else. I just went, he commanded them to be baptized. Commanded, really? I never had seen that before. I don't know how many times I've read it. But he commanded them to be baptized, and I thought, I wonder why. And then I realized in the context where he's dealing with Greeks, adversely the first non-Jews who had responded to the gospel. The Jewish people had this sense of separation from the world in their culture. They were chosen by God, and they were, in fact, they had this idea that they were Jews, and then there was everyone else. Uh, and so they had this, but now, you, now the gospel is going beyond that border to Greeks. And the first thing, once they respond to the truth of the gospel, is a command to be baptized. So I looked it up, and it actually says command. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing how these uh, translations actually mostly get it right. The command to be baptized. And I looked at 
baptism, baptized. It's an interesting word because we made up a word. Well, they, somebody did at some point. Because the Greek word for is baptizo, and it literally means to submerge or to immerse. But because it was a submersion, submersion with a significance, they transliterated the Greek word and created baptism. Otherwise, it would actually say he commanded them to be submerged. That's what it says if you translate it. He commanded them to be submerged. But it's not just submerging. It's submerging with a significance. I mean, otherwise, every time you take a bath <laughs> or go swimming, dive into the pool, you know, is there something? No, there's a significance in that. But I also saw that in Acts, it follows believing. Acts 10.43, in, in that they responded to the message, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. And we know they responded because the Spirit was poured out. In Acts 2.41, and those who gladly received the word were baptized. So there's something of a response to our belief. And I looked at all that and I went, but still? Commanded? That's okay. What's the significance? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. And for that, we turn over to Romans chapter 6. And Paul says, writing to the Romans, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that, he, that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. What's the significance? The significance, obviously, is that baptism is the first step in holiness. It's dying to sin. Jesus died for sin. And the penalty of sin 
we die to sin. Jesus died for sin, we die to sin. The, the power of sin is broken. We don't have to sin any longer. And that's what it signifies. We are actually dying and being buried in the waters of baptism, and that's why it's submerged, because it, it represents being buried with Christ that we can rise to a new life. Most of you have been baptized, I realize. You're thinking, why in the world is he talking about baptism? Because we're doing baptism next week? Actually, no. <laughs> so it's actually the first step in dying to the world and ourself. Now, in a bigger context, just for those of you who are st studiers, in a bigger context, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26 to 28, it says that God made man in his image and gave him dominion. Three times it says image, and three times it says dominion or rule. So God made us for relationship in his image so we can have relationship, but he also made us to rule over the planet. So what happened when sin entered, relationship was broken, but rulership was also given up. And so if you don't understand those two things, you, you miss the, the point. Relationship, we've been restored to relationship because of what Jesus has done. Nothing we can do. It's all by grace. He's done it all. You don't have to do anything except respond to him. But when it comes to partnering with him to see his kingdom expanded, which is what rulership is, it requires our obedience and our holiness. If we weren't also called to partner with him for the kingdom, there's no reason for us to still be alive once we got saved. Love is the choice for someone else's highest. When I come to Jesus, my highest is to be with him. So why doesn't God in his love kill me and take me to heaven? Have you ever thought about that? Would, <laughs> would not that be the most loving thing? But he actually then enlists us to partner with him to see his kingdom extended because there's other people that he loves, that he wants to see restored. And we get the, the privilege of being a part of that. So... When we're talking about holiness, we're not talking about being holy in order to be accepted by God so we can be saved. That's already done. We become righteous in Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we could be the righteousness of God. But there's something about in this life dying to the world and our flesh, our self, that's influenced by the world. Oh, this is a very popular message. <laughs> Jesus died for sin. We died to sin. So it has no power over us. But the problem is, as long as we're still alive in the flesh, our flesh, our self, 
gets influenced by the world. And so what is the representation of baptism? It's our self, our flesh. You're wondering what's in here. It's a representation of our flesh, a snake. That's actually not a snake, it's a belt. <laughs> Closest thing I could find. But see, there's something of this flesh that still likes the world. There's something of this flesh that wants to get out of the coffin. That's what this is. This is not a shoebox. It's a coffin. We're crucified with Christ. We're buried with him. We rise to new life. But the flesh still tries to creep out of there and says, feed me, feed me. Feed me with what? Feed me with the things of the world. Our flesh responds to the world. And so there's this idea that we have to continually die to ourselves, to our flesh. And so we put the snake back in the coffin and it keeps trying to get out. And some of us think, oh, it's too hard to try and keep it in there. Maybe if I just treat it nicely. Maybe it'll, I'll just pet it and and, and it'll be nice to me. Or maybe if I just kind of, I don't have to actually kill it. Maybe I can reform it. Maybe I can convince it. If I only give it a little bit of the things of the world. And it's crying out, feed me, feed me. So you're laughing. But the reality is, the gospel, once we're, we're saved and that thing is put in the coffin, I can't get the coffin open, <laughs> and it goes back inside, what we need to actually do is get a hammer and nail and nail that thing shut. <laughs> but there is a dying to self, there is a living in holiness that begins when we die. Luke 9.23 says that Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him. What are we dying to? What's the cross? It's dying to the flesh. It's dying to the world. It's dying to those influences, those things that will try and stop us from walking in intimate relationship with God, so we're hearing his voice and partnering with him. The lie of the world is that it's better. But it doesn't stop there. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. I was thinking this morning, Mary and I watched a uh, cooking show. Every once in a while we do that, and in this one they they had a very complex... uh, recipe and it had different parts and they put all this stuff ingredients together in this part and got it going and then they put all this other stuff together and then and then at the end they brought it all back together made it and, and it turned out wonderful i kind of felt like that this sermon is about like that this morning there's three parts and i'm hoping that when they come back together it will make some sort of sense <laughs> otherwise it might be a flop 
1 John chapter 1. The background is something called Gnosticism was beginning to raise its head in the church. And it was a belief. Uh, Gnosis in Greek means knowledge, and it was a belief that there was a special knowledge. And if you understood this special knowledge, and basically what they... The, uh, the Gnostics believed was that spiritual and flesh were totally separate and that spiritual was good, flesh was always bad. And eventually it got to the point where they believed this was so much a separation that what you did in the flesh didn't really matter. And so basically they said, one, Jesus didn't come in the flesh, didn't die. He was a spirit and never took on flesh because that would have corrupted him. But they went on to say that what you do in the flesh isn't sin. And it's that that, that John is writing to in this letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He said, hey, we met this Jesus. He was flesh. We touched him. Life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, that's what the the Gnostics were saying. Oh, we don't actually sin. There's no such thing as sin. We don't have any sin. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar And his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That was the whole focus. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Of course not. Do you not know that you were buried with Christ? But if we sin... If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for sin, not only for ours, but also for the whole world. See, the main point of Gnosticism was that truth comes from within. I have a special revelation that supersedes everything else, and I'm the center of truth. 
And you can look, think, it, oh, that applies to the Gnostics. Let me tell you, that's exactly where we are today. The point is this. Dying to self and the world is not only the first step in holiness, it's also the first step in protection from deception. When my focus is fixed on Jesus, he is the truth. I'm not the center of truth. He is. And so I'm protected from this selfish, self-centered interpretation that says, I'm the center of truth and I determine what's true. Now, we don't say it that way. We say it a little bit differently. We say, you, got your, you have to find your real you, your true you, inside. What's it saying? Truth comes from within. Well, the reality is that truth is in Jesus. We have something in the Kings where it says that uh, every man did what, did what was right in his own eyes. See, the reality is that if everyone decides what the truth is, all we have is chaos. What's your truth? Find what's true for you. Is actually a recipe for deception. Because the enemy comes in and says, yeah, let me tell you. That snake jumps up and says, yeah, 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 I've got a good idea. When Jesus is central and we recognize he is truth and his word, then we add to that the intimacy of the Holy Spirit. And there's protection. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. But it's not just the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit and the Word. Because the problem is with the Holy Spirit, He speaks to us inside, and all of our stuff, if we haven't died to self, self's involved in that. And so we, hear, we think we hear God say things that he never said. What are we actually hearing? We're hearing self. We're hearing that snake. And I'm using God as an excuse to do what I want to do. But God said. About 30 years ago, I was counseling with a young couple who were dating. And uh, they told me that they had prayed together. And God told them it was okay to have sex before they got married. Now, do you actually think that was God? Word's very clear. That was their flesh. That was snake. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask snake what, what we should do.
But it's happening all over the place today. People saying, this is what God said. God told me I can steal money. Because I deserve it. He wants to bless me. And I don't have enough so I can take what's yours. God told me. How many of you actually think that that's God? If you do, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can put this together. Over in Revelation. Chapter 12. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. There's deception happening. And he was cast to the earth and, the angels were cast, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our, Lord, before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, and did not live, love their lives, did not love their lives to the death. So in this context of where we live in the world, there is deception taking place. How do we overcome deception? How, how are we protected from deception? By the blood of the Lamb, our focus is on Jesus, what he's done, his sacrifice for us. By the word of our testimony, I'm identified with him, and by love, not loving our lives to the death. How do you not love your life to the death? We've already died. That's what happened at baptism. We've been dying daily. So when someone threatens you, your life, if you don't walk away from Jesus, what do you got to lose? I'm already dead. <laughs> and when this life dies, this body, there's no sting in death. Corinthians says, death, where's your sting? It's gone. I've already died. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. What happens? It starts when we are identified with Christ and, and die to ourselves and to the world, buried in the waters of baptism, rise to a new life, and then in the power of his spirit, die daily to the snake. Not only do we then grow in holiness, but we also grow in protection from deception. So there's a reset that the Holy Spirit's doing in the church. And what is that? It's get our eyes back on Jesus. That's our protection in the midst of deception. You don't have to know what the mark of the beast is. Don't get caught up. If I only know what it is, I can avoid it. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And it'll be obvious. You don't have to know what the latest, greatest thing that, that's happening, what the latest methodology. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. 
How does the devil deceive us? He doesn't come along with something terrible. He comes along with something that's a little bit different than truth. Someone said the best lie includes a whole lot of truth. So, how does this apply to us? In this way, let me encourage you. If you've not been baptized as a believer, get baptized. In fact, let me go a little farther and agree with the Bible. If you've not been baptized, let me command you. Get baptized. But let me go further. If you've been baptized, let me tell you, die daily to sin and the world. Don't play around. You can't reform the snake. You can't coddle it. Too often we think, if I see how close to the line of sin. I'm going to try to find what it is that's sin and see how close I can get without falling off. Or it's only a little bit of sin. Do you not know? You've been buried. You're dead to that, which means you don't have to sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. It doesn't mean you can't sin. It means you don't have to. So, we're going to, if the uh, team would come back, we're going to do the song that we didn't quite get to there. They have it all downloaded now. And uh, it basically is turn our eyes back to Jesus. Let me ask you to stand. Let me encourage you. It's not a matter of I was baptized once. Here she is. They were wondering where you were. But as we sing, let's just be responsive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing some something. The Holy Spirit's bringing some reset, some, some redirection. The Holy Spirit's identifying things that get in the way. And as he does, just simply respond to him. And he loves us. Sin has negative consequences. We sometimes think it doesn't, but it does. He's not angry. He's not trying to stop us from having fun. He's loving and wanting to save us from the consequences. If you don't know him, that's where it starts. But for all the rest of us who do, let's continue to keep our eyes fixed on him. If you uh, are planning to get baptized and 
haven't let me know if you would let me or Tim know just so we know numbers wise uh, if we can fit everyone in we're going to get you all in the little pool at once no <laughs> water Lord we just stand humbled and amazed at your greatness your beauty We just agree with your spirit who's resetting our gaze on the lover of our soul. Who's not just the head of the church and not just the savior, but who's the bridegroom who's coming for his bride, of which we are. And so we fix our eyes on you again. We say, Holy Spirit, empower us. And then thank you for the privilege of partnering with you to help others see you as you really are. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to meet Jesus, just come to the front. Somebody would love to introduce you. Otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your day, and let's go with, with his power. Amen.